Hello and welcome everyone to another Conscious Conversation in the Inner Sanctum with special guest teacher, Michael J. Tamora. Welcome, Michael. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. It's always Glad such a blessing here. and a pleasure to be with you in the Inner Sanctum or anywhere, really, uh, to be with you in spirit. I've hung out with you in spirit. <laughs> like mm-hmm. hanging, out, hanging out with you is always wonderful. And, uh, you know, today I, I saw you on Cat Show. I've had you, as I said, on the show. Oh, yeah, yes. A couple, a dozen times or something, but I saw you on Cat Show recently, and I and um, I, I posed the question as I was listening to you talking on Third Eye Salon with Cat and Linda and Angela and the gang. Uh, you know, you always remind us whenever we're speaking, when we, whenever we forget and we get caught up with our human dramas, you always sort of like blast through it all and remind us that we are not our human dramas; we are spirit. We are spirit, we are spirit, we are spirit. You do it pretty much every time. And then I go, ah, you know, like it's just that, ah, of course, because it's like we know this intellectually. We know that we are spirit having a human experience. But uh, we forget when we're all caught up in our drama, like we just Mm -hmm. forget. And I really wanted to explore that today about how we can remember who we really are as we go through these challenging times on earth and, and challenging times personally how do we live, absolutely live, knowing we are not our human problems, we are not our human body, you know, that we are spirit having, having a, a human experience? Like, what does that look like? I know that you live like that, but <laughs> could we could well, really explore that more. Yeah, I mean, you can't avoid having the human experience. <laughs> Well, that's maybe what a lot of people try to do. They come in, they incarnate here and uh, in their human body minds, and um, they try to not be human. <laughs> but I think you got the you got the key when you said, "Oh yeah, it's one thing to intellectually understand or know that you know, oh yes, we're we're spirit." living a human experience, but you got to actually live it. And the main part is what you just talked about in terms of reminding, remembering, right? Reminding ourselves. I think 99.9% of spiritual growth is just nothing more than reminding ourselves regularly. And we fall off the wagon, so to speak all the time in terms of it's no different than learning a baby learning how to start to crawl and then walk when you're starting to walk you're going to fall you could be a genius you could be the most powerful person on the planet but you're going to fall right you're learning to to walk and that's what we're here for we incarnate here so we can learn and what are we here to learn well, on a basic overall level, we're here to learn to communicate. We're, learn, we're here to learn how to say hello to each other. <laughs> Can it be more simple than that? Well, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, when we look at what human dramas and, and what kind of problematic challenges that we experience as human beings here, pretty much. It's in relationships, right? 
I mean, it's not, most of us, I think, will be very happy uh, sitting on top of a mountain somewhere by ourselves with no one else around in beautiful nature. And, you know, you're not, you're going to be fairly a happy camper. It's just when someone else comes into our lives <laughs> that we have to deal with. <laughs> and in fact, in every incarnation, we start right off, we start off with a bang right at birth, no matter what, how, what kind of a birth, whether you have a home birth or underwater birth or a hospital birth or whatever it is. Right there and then, the moment of incarnating, you're already in relationship with your mother, you know, with the midwife or the doctor or spectators or whatever. <laughs> and it just starts off with a bang right from the very beginning. Relationship. And how do we say hello to each other? Well, every one of us has, ex has had that experience as an infant, as a newborn, going, hello, everyone. And you either get, oh, what a cute baby, or, <laughs> or the ignored, or, you know, people scratching their head going, what's this baby trying to say? So the failure to communicate starts off right away, too. Isn't that interesting? I, I always think it's really fascinating. So the spiritual growth of a soul, of an immortal, eternal being, spirit. What's the hardest thing? Well, we're in spirit, there is no such thing as time. First thing you enter into a body and into this world, this world is made up of a relationship between time and space. There's always time and space because we're coming from an experience of total oneness, no division whatsoever. It just is. No beginnings, no endings, no change, no nothing. It's just all. The instant we have one drop of our awareness into this world of time and space, well, time and space, what does that mean? It means we're in a divided world. Everything, every down to the every last subatomic particle, if you will, is divided. Positive, negative, positive, negative, male, female, night and day. It's all divided. So we're, we're oneness experiencing total division. There's no such thing as oneness in this world. The world is completely made up of two, two-ness. <laughs> everything's too and and so what we call spiritual awakening enlightenment the process of waking up from this world means not physically you know like killing yourself off isn't going to do it but you have to recognize oh i have to wake up while i'm experiencing this too Tunis world, this divided world. So it's what Jesus was saying when he said, uh, uh, you're in this world, but not of it. Yeah. That's what we have to remember is, oh, that's why I repeat, you know, your spirit 
that's the easiest way to say, hey, you're beyond time and space. You're, you're, you're not two-ness. You're not made in two-ness. You're made in undividedness, eternalness. So the minute we start to experience this two-ness world of time and space, we get caught up in it and we forget. That's all it is. It's not we, we become less or, or we, we get completely, you know, demented or whatever. <laughs> we, we just get caught up. It's, it's like hypnosis. Yeah, you know how, uh, oh, some people, you're probably saying, um, get so caught up in their video game especially as video games are becoming more and more virtual reality and you're immersed in the experience of it, you forget that you have a different life than the life you're living inside the video game. Guess what? <laughs> this here, <laughs> without the uh, goggles or, or joysticks or anything like that, this is a video game. Very, very, very amazing, sophisticated one. but nonetheless, which means everything here, what is called laws of nature. It's the algorithm, the programming for the video game here. And that's, that's kind of been the purpose of scientists is to, to get into the video game and go, okay, when you push this button, this always happens. How's that? And then mathematicians at a high level could, could track it down. And it's all mathematical formulas, ultimately. Everything here operates. That's why somebody could say, oh, the law of cause and effect and this and that, the other thing. There is no true cause here in this world. True cause is total creativity. And that's only within us as spirit, not in the human body. Never saw a human body create anything <laughs> when, when spirit wasn't inhabiting it, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, otherwise, morgues would be having all kinds of parties. <laughs> but so then... What happens when we come into this, this world of two-ness, into a human body, and people, spiritually oriented and, and metaphysically oriented people, all know about incarnating, reincarnating and incarnating. You know, you're, you're born, your spirit coming into a body. But most people, I observe, think of incarnating into a body like uh, putting something into a container. But the body's not a container. And so many people believe that the mind is in the brain. Now, the brain is puny compared to the mind. <laughs> if, if the mind were actually in the brain, we wouldn't have any psychic abilities. We wouldn't have telepathy we wouldn't have any any clairvoyance anything you wouldn't be able to feel what somebody else is feeling because oh their mind is in their little brain and my mind is in my little brain and never the twain shall meet 
what makes it seem like we have Bluetooth and Wi-Fi built into our brain <laughs> is because the brain, the mind, the brain and the whole human body is contained within the mind. Yeah, it's just like putting on a virtual reality goggles and playing a video game. After a little while, if you're really into it, it feels like you're actually one of the people in the video game. But in that kind of a video game, you're not. You just get into it. That's what happens when we incarnate. We're pure awareness when we incarnate. What does that mean? Being aware, we are aware of every speck of experience that we immerse our awareness in. But if we forget, oh, we're not the sum total of everything we're aware of. Far from it. Our awareness is limitless. This universe, as big as it seems, is limited. But our awareness gets in and becomes only aware of the universe. Of the universe, not even of planet Earth, but the universe. And, and then, of course, pretty much for most people, not even the universe, not even planet Earth itself, but just aware of whatever is in front of you at yeah. any given moment, you know? Or even aware, like, just aware of just the relationships in your tiny little world, like the relationship yeah. with my partner, with my mother. With exactly. My um, I did it. And so, where, did, where's, where's all that relationship? It's in your mind. It's in your mind, yeah. But Didi has a great question here. Okay. So where is the mind? You said the mind isn't in the brain. She says, so where is the mind? Oh, well, let me see here. It's uh, I, I put it somewhere. <laughs> it's in my oh, hip. It's in my I'm big sitting toe. on it. My little toe. <laughs> it's in my little toe. <laughs> well, let me explain it this way. If if you're aware of anything, if you experience anything, where are you experiencing it? In the mind. This mind is consciousness, right? It can't be contained in some place. Consciousness is way bigger than things. Things are in consciousness, part of consciousness, and that's why you could, you're aware in, of things and you could experience situations, relationships, events, all those kinds of things. You're experiencing it all in your mind in your consciousness. Without awareness, there's no experience. But awareness being nothing but total pure awareness, the moment awareness mm, becomes aware of this divided world, it acts like it's divided. And that's what we call consciousness. Consciousness is I am conscious. I'm conscious of you, right? Consciousness has that which is being conscious and then that which it's conscious of, the object of consciousness. 
And then there's that process in between of being conscious of one, one consciousness being conscious of another consciousness. And that's what we get engulfed, immersed in. Then we forget there's more than just consciousness. There's the awareness itself, which is without divisions, without end. There's no two awarenesses. So the reason I use two words, awareness versus consciousness, consciousness is divided. It's, it's when awareness is divided, it's got, it becomes consciousness, the mind. The mind is a builder. And whatever's in that dichotomy of this being aware of that, this being conscious of that, starts to create everything else. All of creation is a product of consciousness. So when we begin our journey as human souls, souls incarnated in human bodies and, and, and the human aspect of mind, just means in this limitless mind space, there's a algorithm, there's a programming that sets up what we call the human mind versus uh, a dog's mind. But both minds, so to speak, are in the same limitless mind. Yeah. It's one mind. And that's why animal communicators can communicate with animals. They share the mind. They just learn, oh yeah, my human mind works like this. That's that part of the video game. But the dog's mind works like that, which is just same video game, but the different part. It has different programming. So when the human mind recognizes that, then, oh yeah, we could, we could communicate, understand each other even. Now, as we enter as awareness, spirit is awareness. Spirit is beingness. Yeah. We are, and then we're aware. Awareness is integral to who we are as spirit. And then, you know, a lot of times people talk about bliss. That's just another aspect of who we are as spirit. If we were to give it a description, I guess the best word that anybody's been able to come up with so far is bliss, which doesn't really say anything. I prefer to use the word, you know, never-ending joy or something. But it's, that's, that word is so puny compared to the experience. So the, that third aspect of being a human soul is the experience we have from being self-aware. Awareness being aware of itself as what it is, the, 
the closest possible word we can even come up with is this experience of total life, the joyous celebration of life. And this is part of the key to one's spiritual enlightenment. And this is why people who are very, very, they think they have to be serious to be spiritual. <laughs> you have to, I'm seriously trying to be spiritually enlightened. Uh, sorry, ain't going to happen because you can't experience yourself in seriousness, who you truly are, because who you are as spirit, you are not what we call the experience of seriousness. That's of the world. That's divided. When you divide yourself so into so many pieces, you become very, very serious. And serious people, you know, don't have the energy, life energy, right? <sighs> That's why kids have a lot of life force energy and they're not serious. And they're not serious. Okay, so, so really the, the question I posed was, you know, how do we live knowing that we are not this world and see everything as an, a humongous joke. <laughs> see it all, see the universe as, as something that we're enjoying as opposed to living. Like when we watch a sitcom or a television show, we're witnessing it, we're aware of it and we're yes. enjoying it as yep. opposed to being it. David's got a great question. Honey one, do you want to come on camera? Where are you? Where are you? for Coming on camera, dying one? Yes, I'm going to spotlight you. Hey. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Hi there. So good, good to, to see you, you again. Yeah. Um, I've got two questions for you, um, but they're all one. So, Michael, are you seeing <laughs> a greater exponential rate of spiritual awakening going on these days, especially since the pandemic shut us all down so that our spirits could wake up? And then yes. do, you think, do you think it's our job to awaken friends and family or is that strictly spirit's job like for example to lead our friends or family towards anything in a spiritual experience like a workshop a crystal healing ceremony a mind mushroom event what a, a talk like this because i often wonder are we in any way have any ability to wake people up like say when people come into contact with somebody pretty enlightened it releases something inside but, or is that spirit's job? The spirit inside each individual will wake them up when, when they're meant to. Because that was my experience. I was, yeah. I, met, I was drunk in a nightclub in <laughs> Sydney. I was 22. And I met a lady selling flowers to the patrons in the nightclub. And I asked her for a date. And she was a Buddhist vegetarian meditator. <laughs> and, and I thought, what are we going to talk about? But we did go for dinner. And, when I, and then we said goodnight. And when I woke up the next day, I was suddenly... Uh, spiritually awake and I started noticing the life force in everything but I thought it was her Lillian who had the spiritual power to wake me up so I just did everything she said for a year and a half I became vegetarian I gave up alcohol and drugs I did Vipassana if I did rebirthing I did whatever she said and then we broke up and I and I realized maybe and, and I've had the experience of meeting people and they've woken up and then they say oh will you be my helper teacher 
And I say, no, life is your teacher, but I'll be your, you know, your friend or whatever. And so my question is, what's the awakening thing what, or who or what or why? All those questions. Ah, well, you had it. You know, you said, is it is it spirit or are we supposed to influence or affect our family and friends and other people toward their spiritual enlightenment? And it's not an either or question. Remember, either or is of this divided world. Spirit is always both and more. Yeah. Spirit is all inclusive because there's no division. The ego is completely a fabric of fabrication of division. So the ego, most, if you'll notice in the world, most everybody thinks in terms of either or, especially important things in life, life or death, right? What could be more important than a life or death situation? Well, there is no such thing as a life or death situation because life is singular. Life is all inclusive. It's not divided. The, the opposite of death is birth. So birth, there is birth and death in this world. In spirit, there is no such thing as birth or death. There's just life, all-inclusive. So when you said, is it spirit's job to awaken individuals? Yes. Who does it? Spirit. <laughs> but you are spirit. Yeah, so there's, there's not an either or. Do I say something to my friend or to, you know, somebody or encourage somebody for waking up? Absolutely. Just not, you can't force them. Yeah. You can't uh, program them. You can't manipulate them. But it's, to me, it's, it's very much like being a chef and there's a lot of people who are, if they were chefs, they would make a fabulous meal. And because they spend all this time and energy and money and everything to make this fabulous meal, they're going to try to force people to eat it. Yeah, try it. You got to eat this. You got, I made it for you. You have guilt, trip them, do whatever, make them eat it. That's not going to work. It doesn't work in food either <laughs> and then there's chefs who are so happy to create wonderful meals they just create the meals they think okay i'm gonna offer this meal put it on the buffet table and ring the food bell and whoever's hungry whoever wants to eat whoever likes that kind of food they're gonna come find it and the chef says be my guest and then others come and they, they look at it and say, oh, God, yeah, I hate that stuff. Fine. Have a nice day. Right? So encouraging someone to be on a spiritual path or, or look more within themselves to, to awaken more, absolutely, all the time. But be like that chef that puts the wonderful food on the table and says, if you like it, there it is. Thank and you. I could always uh, cook up some more. <laughs> yeah. 
can I ask you a follow-up question then? Yes. You've got, you've got two children. Um, yes. I've got two girls and Karen ah. has a girl. And we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks and because it's Mother's Day, Karen got a beautiful, a beautiful message from her daughter who has kind of rejected everything Karen's offered her ah. um, in a way. And my girls get really irritated when I suggest things to them. But I put them in front of them, as you say, like a chef with no attachment, like they, yes. they must have the dignity of their own journey. So yeah. what do you think about us and children? You know how children carry a lot of opposite energy of parents. Oh, so absolutely. What, what do you think with regards to the, to the children, our, specifically our children, let's say, that, we've, that we're parents to? Well, my practice from the moment I became aware that my first son, the old, I have two sons, and um, it's hard for me to think of them as children. They're, they're 40 and 38 years old. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I got the, the incredible blessing of witnessing the conception of my first son's uh, body right? I'm sleeping and um, next to his mother and, and uh, I get woken up about three o'clock in the morning. And there's this bright light at the top of the ceiling when I open my eyes and I recognize him instantly as, oh yeah, this is the incoming soul. <laughs> so I go, hey, how's it going? And he says, I'm coming in. I said, okay. <laughs> and this beam of light comes down from him into her womb and it literally looked like what, what I would imagine the creation of the galaxy, you know, supernova kind of a thing. And, and this incredible light just exploded out and seemed to have gone to the edge of the universe and then shrink back all in an instant. And I knew she was pregnant. Wow. So, I woke her up and says, guess what? You got pregnant. <laughs> I think she mumbled something and then went back to sleep. <laughs> so the next morning, I, I mentioned it again. And she kind of dismissed it, you know, didn't invalidate it or, or agree with it or get interested or anything. She said, oh, okay. Because we were busy, you know, with somebody else's wedding and stuff. and. Um, what was it? A few weeks later, she comes back and she says, guess what? I'm pregnant. <laughs> I went to the doctors. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, it's always been like that for me. You know, when, when I mentioned, oh, you know, you're, you're pregnant to somebody's. Uh, I learned you shouldn't do that to complete strangers. <laughs> <laughs> you get into really big trouble. <laughs> but anyway, it was like, okay. And, and when did the doctor say what your, you know, conception date was about? Uh, yep, right around that same, same day. And so I, I thought, wow, that was, that's the whole process of conception. And um, so from that moment on, I, I, after celebrating and everything, I thought, okay, what's the most important thing for me to start to prepare? And, and here, of course, like most 
new fathers, you know, to be, I'm thinking, oh, do I go get a diaper service, <laughs> get a crib, whatever, you know, all of a sudden I'm in meditation and I see the whole thing. I have to, I have to face the fear of losing my child. I thought, whoa, okay. <laughs> because I got to see what's the basic problem every parent has. They're terrified that something bad is going to happen to their child or worse yet, the child's going to die. Right? So, and you, you got the whole gamut of every kind of possibility that could go downhill, right? Even before they die. And so I start to meditate on that every day. Part of my morning meditation, one part of it was, was looking at any fear pictures I had already about losing my child. And that's when I start to really got to experience the difficulties most parents have with, with their children and their relationships where it becomes a battle of controls, battle of wills. No, you're not going to do that. No, I'm going to do that. Yeah, you can't do that. This is dangerous. This is bad. Da, 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 all that. And it puts a wedge between them and everything else. And all I could see was, oh, yeah, that's fear on both sides. Whenever we're, we're determined to gain control over some situation in a relationship, it's, it's definitely because we're afraid. We're terrified. If I don't get control of this, this my way, I'm the one who's not going to make it. Yeah. If my child dies, well, if the child dies, the child is already dead. I'm the one who's not going to able, be able to survive after that. That's the fear. So then if we don't deal with that fear within ourselves, then we project it on the, on the other person, whether it's a child or your spouse or, you know, whatever. We start to try to take responsibility for that other being and we disempower them going, you know, I can't handle you dying, so I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure you don't do this. You, go, you don't go there. Da, 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 da. We, we still have to teach our children, right? But, but not from that place of trying to take over their life or control. So I had nine months to work on that. And by the time he was born, I'd say I was about <laughs> one-tenth of the way there. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and of course, his birth was very, very difficult. And so I had to continue to work on that level. And not on only that, but because it was a difficult situation, nobody would listen to me. The doctor, of course, wouldn't listen to me what was going on. My wife at that time wouldn't listen to me what was going on. And so they went and did what they thought was correct. 
And there wasn't really anything I could do about it. But it turned out what I was saying was what was needed. So, I just, can yes, I, go just ahead. Re, I just want to reiterate, I want you to continue the story of the birth of your son, but I want to reiterate because I'm having some aha moments, as I always do with you. Michael. <laughs> First show I ever did with Michael, I called them aha moments with Michael Tamora. <laughs> so, what you're saying is, as parents or as teachers of anyone, it's our responsibility to teach love. And teaching love is being love. So when we come at a child or anyone with concern like eat this, don't eat that, do this, don't do that, from a loving parental, you know, like a loving stance, we think that we're, we think that we're giving love what we're actually doing is, is giving fear. So to be loving would be more like, which is actually something I did with my daughter. It's so interesting. Enjoy life, take drugs, get pregnant, you know, <laughs> jump off cliffs, do life is a smorgasbord, T taste every dish on the table and decide which one you like. Um, and so you're not coming at them with any fear or control you're coming well, at them from a place of love knowing that our human body might get hurt our human emotions might get hurt but the spirit inside you is eternal and can never be hurt and so there's nothing to fear is that yes but when you again put it into the context of either or like instead of controlling out of fear and making them do this and do this, go the complete opposite end, do everything, do anything, da, 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 free for all. That's still fear. It's still fear? Yes. How is that fear? Well, fear of not doing the right thing with your child or the other person. Okay. Fear of making a mistake. Right. What okay. if I tell this person to do this and it's, it's wrong? What if I tell my child to don't do that and, and they end up, you know, traumatized or they, they end up uh, limited because of what I told them to do or not do? So I'm going to go the other way, protect myself by going, do everything and anything. It's all up to you. But when you say that to a child, especially a really smart child, uh -huh. <laughs> because we're still dealing with the spirit is one thing, but the human body mind that's developing as this spiritual being's body mind needs guidance, needs training, needs permission, needs uh, encouragement, as well as discouragement, right? Certain things. No, I wouldn't do that. And here's why. And then you could let them make the decision, but it depends also on the soul that is the other person or in this case, the, your child, it depends on where they are in their spiritual evolvement and maturity. Some souls, as we know, 
some children we know are incredible, way more mature than some 40 year old person. <laughs> and yet certain things, they're struggling way more than we are because the body's constantly changing. Chemically, electronically, psychically, everything is changing in that body. So they need an adult who's been there, done that. And we may not have done everything correctly, far from it. <laughs> but we have a little bit more wisdom from our experiences that, oh, yeah, if you do that, it's not going to go well. Right? So it's up to us to present the best guidance we can give them at the time and not be afraid of being wrong, mm -hmm. not being afraid of being uh, uh, too hard or too soft or too this. Or, you know, that's, that's a big fear as parents, especially we have, is I don't want to screw up my kid. <laughs> what if uh, this is what I see, but, but what if I'm wrong? Mm. Okay. Well, I could be wrong, but this, and, and certain, certain souls at certain levels of development, they need like a, uh, a military discipline. You know, it's, it's, there's been kids that I've seen and I've recommended the parents, oh, that one should go to a military school. Otherwise, they're going to be totally out of control. Mm. And they're going to not only hurt themselves, but hurt others. So it's dependent on the It's the dependent child. on each soul. Cecil yeah. has a question. Dying one, do you want to come on camera? Yeah, you're, you're off. You're not muted. Yeah. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Uh, yeah, Michael. good to see you too. Uh, it is a follow-up in what you're talking about because I had an experience. Um, I had uh, kidney issues. Mm. And I was uh, contemplating and found out why and I could let it go. And then it kind of healed mostly, but it was still something uh, left. Mm -hmm. And I realized that uh, I had a lot of worrying towards my kids, something I couldn't um, fix or, or do anything. So um, I, I released it. And I thought to myself, okay, this is not my um, responsibility in doing mm -hmm. anything. So I cannot worry anymore and I let it go. Yes. Then it, it kind of released. Ah. So can you talk about this um, energy? Because what I could see is that the energy of love and mm -hmm. the worrying was kind of in the same, but it was a love distorted. So now leaving the worrying, I could kind of combine the love so it could be whole sending it towards mm -hmm. them and let yes. they do whatever they do. What do you think? Well, it's 
we're all works in progress, right? <laughs> we're all in the middle of, you know, no matter whether we're in first grade or 12th grade or college or postgraduate or whatever grade level we're, we're at as souls, we're all, if we're here, we're still in a learning process. So a little bit like what I was just saying to Karen was, at one point in your life, one way might be correct. At another point, a different way is correct. Yeah. So there's no one pat answer even for the same person, mm. depending on where you are in your awakening, where you are in your development. And that's, that's one of the challenges of spiritual practices and spiritual teachings most spiritual teachings are directed to a large group of souls. Mm. And that's why, and it's, it, it is, initially it's presented like the chef, you know, the, the analogy I gave earlier of, okay, here's, here's a bunch of spiritual teaching. Some souls, they don't even want to even hear about it. It's just, totally not interested, totally not their cup of tea. But then later on, some lifetimes later, all of a sudden that same soul that said, I don't want any part of this comes around and says, oh, this is the cat's meow. This is perfect. So we, that's why there's all kinds of different religions. And then you have people, souls that outgrow all those religions, which were perfectly fine for them at one during a particular phase of their incarnations and growth, and then they come back and they go, oh, God, this, this religion really is bad. You know, it's just complete dogma, total control. They're in it for the money, blah, 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 blah. And that soul abandons that, those teachings and practices and looks for, okay, what works for me now? So we go through all of those things. And it's only when you get to a certain place where you're able to <clears throat> not tolerate, you're able to have, accept where each person really is because you're not threatened by where they are. You're, you're no longer afraid of, if I don't control this person in a certain way, they're going to do me in, in some way, right? And when you don't have that, oh, you find, oh, life is so much happier. <laughs> it's like, it's, a, you know, it's a cause for celebration, whether it's raining or sunny or whether this person's being a pain in the, you know, what or not, it's, it's great. You can love them just the way they are. And you're not attached, you're not involved in, in which way they go, what happens to them, if they live or die or whatever. Mm. It's okay with you. That's unconditional love. When you can celebrate no matter what a person's choice is. But that doesn't mean if we notice that, you know, this is adults and stuff. If we notice that that person who's a friend or a stranger is going where you know it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be good for that mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. I, I mention it to them. 
Yeah. And then, but once you mention it a little bit, you'll get the feedback right away. Yeah. The person either completely just doesn't even hear you. It's like as if you didn't say anything. Or a person immediately gets upset. Or a person sits there and kind of thinks about it. You know, okay, that's where they are at this moment. And if, if they're even a little bit open to it, wait a little bit. And there'll be a time where they can have a little bit more. So in that way, I'm very patient <laughs> when it comes to people. And so there's certain people I took, you know, three years of finding them in the back alleys, <laughs> Los Angeles, <laughs> to give them a little tiny morsel every, uh, every other month or so. Yeah. But it ended up with an amazing miracle. And then other people, oh, I can't keep them away. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and they're really going at it. So it's, it's like that. Did that answer your question? Yes, okay. yes, beautiful. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. David had another question, but I just wanted to say something, you know, in one of our shows, you were tuning into my daughter and you identified her as being oh so staunchly independent and, um, and you know, hit the ground running and she wasn't going to let anybody tell her what to do because she was going to figure it all out herself like you just pinned her in your assessment of her. And, uh, yeah, just like I was when I hit the ground running. And so I parented her with that, you know, you know what to do and I can't tell you what to do, so do it all. Yes. I parented yep. her with that advice and it worked for me. Yeah. Because, yeah of that's her, a good... because of who she was. But over the last couple of years, I tentatively advised her not to do something that I believed in. And that's where I came into trouble for the first time in my relationship with her. I, I suggested that maybe she not participate in something that might not be the best for her. And she cut me off. So, mm. like, yeah, so, and then, you know, being cut off, people were saying, are you sad? Are you sad? Are you sad? And I'm like, she'll come around. She'll come around. Yep. She'll figure it out. You know, yep. not talking to somebody that you love hurts. Yes, you know, absolutely. And so her cutting me off because she's like, I don't want your negative points of view or I don't want your points of view, be it negative or positive. Um, because, yeah, what for whatever reason. But that hurts her. I mean, more than it actually hurt, it hurts me. Mm -hmm. But anyway, David has a question about teenagers and that rebellious spirit. I love teenagers. Uh, Michael, can I go back to your personal story again? So sure. you're worrying about diapers a bit and you've, and you've got your new, your new baby. And mm -hmm. then through their childhood, though, with you, um, having you as their dad, were they on your page? I'm, I'm not necessarily saying as children or teenagers, but maybe as young adults. Um, and, um, or, and did you have that experience or did you have the experience of them rejecting your your way of being and your philosophy. Oh yeah. I mean, different periods, you know, it's, uh, it's incredibly close and intimate and fun and everything 
as they were growing up. But around probably the hardest years were maybe 14, 15, 16, that, that teenage part. And, and uh, since I love that part, it's, it's just like, you know, why I love people going through their teenagehood is their, it's not the rebelliousness so much, it's they're in, they're owning their independence. You know, they're, they're going, Hey, you can't physically pick me up anymore and move me from one place to another. Right. Because I could beat you up <laughs> and, and you can't chase me because I'm, I can run faster. I could outrun you. I could pretty much outthink you. I could do out, you know, you're no longer top dog, which is great. Right. And so, so I love that part of the growth growing up process of, of the soul starting to take charge and really coming in and going, okay, right or wrong, I'm going to do it my way. And I, I did continue to just go, okay, this is what I see because they know, you know, uh, they, they grew up in, in a psychic household and the older one went from when he was six months old through to third grade, beginning of third grade, he was in a psychic school. The younger one was in a psychic school starting at three months old. <laughs> and uh, he went through first grade and started public school in second grade. The older one started public school in third grade. So they had both, and there's definitely good parts to each way of teaching, right? They, they, everyone needs both. And so um, uh, they knew how to manage themselves on a psychic energy level. Uh, the younger one came to me more regularly for guidance much more open to that the older ones much much like uh karen's daughter you know it's it's like my way or the highway <laughs> and but both of them equally sensitive on different ways in different ways and and so it's it's uh it's a real creative challenge in in working things out especially because uh, their mother and I separated, you know, divorced um, when they were six and eight. So that's, that was probably far more difficult than dropping dead <laughs> for me. <laughs> but again, when things are really difficult, it's because there's a lot to learn there. Yeah. And one of the most important aspects of what any of us has to learn is what's called forgiveness. You know, being able to forgive others as well as being able to forgive yourself, especially. Yeah. So there's this underlying 
thing that pretty much all control arises from besides the fear part is is probably deeper than that is guilt <laughs> and so so that's that's something we have to really get down to addressing sooner or later and but life will will make you address it <laughs> if you're not proactive something's going to happen between you and somebody else usually and 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 especially somebody you really care about somebody you love then this thing happens and then you have to look pretty deeply when you get past the fear part generally is where you find grief and guilt Grief and guilt are kind of two ends of a similar emotional energy that's created, again, from division. All emotions are created from division in one's consciousness. When we're divided against ourselves in our own mind, then we get emotional. We have emotions. All emotions, including positive emotions? There's no such thing as a positive. Emotions are not necessarily negative or positive. In the, in the judgmental sense, what most people consider to be positive emotions like unconditional love, peace, joy, eternal joy, those are not emotions. Those are experiences, human experiences of the eternal, of spirit, of the undivided. All emotions are experiences of energy, uh, certain kinds of energy, vibrations of Division. So I don't, I don't consider the, the undivided experience of energy as emotions. E- emotions, the movement of the ego. Michael, what was your own experience as a teenager in your own personal case? Well, my memory of being a teenager, you know, so many people go, I hated being a teenager. You know, that's, I hear that more often than someone go, oh, I love being a teenager. I think I'm the only person actually that, that I've ever heard say, I love being a teenager. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love other teenagers and what they're going through because my parents uh, pretty much left, left it up to me. They trusted me imp- implicitly so they go, well, you know, we don't know what you're doing in a sense, not, not in the sense of doing something bad or good or anything like that. It, they weren't sure why I was the way I was and why I did things the way I did things. <laughs> but from their experience, they knew that I wasn't really going to get myself into big trouble. So uh, like, you know, crime and, and all kinds of things like that. And um, so they pretty much left. uh, Once I was, once I was able to leave the house by myself and go catch trains and, you know, buses and everything and get around on my own, I was, 
I was free to go and do whatever. Uh, there was a lot of nights I never came home because I, I set up an apartment at school. <laughs> I was so busy there. <laughs> I thought, I can't go home. I just bring change of clothes. I used the men, boys, uh, locker room showers and everything. And, and I set up, a, uh, I, I got, I had an office because I held several positions in the school. So I made that into an apartment, had a hot plate, you know, everything I needed. <laughs> so I, I had a great time. The only thing was, I knew by the time I got to uh, my junior year in high school, I knew I had to get out of school. And, and I knew I had to leave Japan and go to California. I didn't know why, but I knew I had to. I, I actually knew I sh needed to do it starting when I was at 12 years old but you know who's what responsible parents or anybody is going to let a 12 year old fly off to a different country <laughs> on their own <laughs> so it took me until 16 to create a way where i could do that so i, I had a good time the only thing was that was the time period where i start to really wake up because I had a lot of trouble until I was uh, halfway through fifth grade in school because my mind was empty all the time, except when I start to create. And creatively, there's never an uh, end to it. But in school, where it's very academic and structured, intellectual, and the whole bit, the teacher would ask me, what do you think about this, Michael, about something we were studying? I never had a thought. I never had an opinion. I didn't have judgments about it. <laughs> so, so then I didn't do so well on, on that level. And then I also didn't do well because half the times I knew all the answers to the test questions. So I just write down the answers. I get them. I only got into trouble if I got them right. And the teacher would say, okay, explain how you got this answer. And I, my only explanation was, I don't know. I just knew it. That was not good enough. They interpreted that as I was cheating or stealing the answers from somewhere or whatever. And so that was difficult. So I decided, okay, I better figure out how to get along with people on this level. And halfway through fifth grade, I finally, I watched all the other students who were, who were considered to be doing really good. And, and what one thing they were doing that I wasn't doing was intellectualizing. They had a reason for everything. So I thought, well, I could do that. I could make up reasons for everything. <laughs> so I just started making up reasons for everything and, and making it sound really good, serious and good and very intellectual. And <laughs> oh my God, all of a sudden I became a straight A student. <laughs> so it's, it's like, 
did I learn anything? No, except how to, how to, you know, fake my way through. How intellectual. But, uh, so, yeah. so you are, you're a completely psychic being. I'm thinking of Lorna Byrne who was seeing the angels and talking to spirit and her parents said that she was retarded so that they put her in a corner at school and they didn't teach her because they didn't think she was teachable, but they were all spirit and everything was talking to her and telling her every and showing her the meaning of life and the cosmos and, you know, future earths. And like, it it was all going (laughs) on for her, but they couldn't teach her in 3d school because she couldn't. And still today cannot intellectualize. She calls herself, yep. so she's so funny, she calls herself dyslexic. She can't even say the word dyslexic. She said, <laughs> I'm dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> but Col- Col- Colton has a question here. Colton, yes. hang on. Where, is, where are you? Do you want to come on camera? Where are you? I've got to find you. Ah, there he is. I, I, I did I do have questions I wish I could ask but my mother I'm caretaking for her full time she's the own stuff um, so I'm having to be the parent um, ah. of a parent and it's really difficult but I'm back and forth I'm sorry guys I just I just was putting a statement in the in the group chat but I have to go make sure she's okay she's getting bathed right now ah yeah but you're a healer <laughs> so so you need to uh, go take care of her right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wish I could get into it, but I, I can't ask the question. I'm sorry, guys. I'm okay. like back and forth, but well, it's, not, it's nice hearing what I can. <laughs> if we're still going on and you're, you're finished, uh, you can come back and hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Thank All, you right. Care. All right. Thanks. Darling. Good to see you. I think that um, he, he was, uh, yeah. Wanting to know about, being a parent for his parents uh, uh, I wish yeah. I could ask some questions um, he's taking care of his mother and uh, it's the same sort of thing that we've been talking about but the rever- the roles have been swapped because yes. uh, because he's the child taking care of the parent and you know worrying about that uh, but yes no, not really because he's the child but because he's the healer he's the healer yeah and this is what happens you know probably to all of you here when you were growing up is sometimes you might have wondered on the human side of being a child gee isn't isn't it the parents job to take care of me (laughs) if so why am I taking care of the parents and even more difficult would be the parents needed to be taken care of on some level, whether physical or mentally or emotionally or someplace. And the child has, as a soul, has the information and awareness and everything to, to do that. But the parents won't let them. I'm the parent. I'm going to tell you what to do, you know, like that. And so that's, that's one of the more difficult aspects where when you're, especially when you're a healer, you're sensitive, you're aware and you go, oh, this is what my parent needs, but they won't accept it. Because you're experiencing their pain, their fear, their you know, emotional distress, whatever, and you're trying to help them, but they won't accept it because you're, you're the child. Uh, I had that with my father uh, for a long time until I, it took me a very long time to realize 
oh, that's the way he is. And, and why he's doing what he's doing, which in my reality was saying no to everything in terms of anything that I tried to give to him, it was a no. And, and I noticed he did that with a lot of people. <laughs> and especially people who loved him. But as a child, I didn't have the wisdom to realize, oh, it wasn't just people who loved him. It's people he loved. So he would let strangers give to him certain levels, whereas he wouldn't accept it from, from those closest to him. And it went on for a long time. I mean, by the time I'm really starting to go, what, what is this whole thing? I was already a father myself. And uh, I finally realized that was in his mind, that was his best way he can give to me to just keep it for, for myself as, is to not need me. So he didn't want to just over overall, he did not want to be a burden to anyone burden, else. To not yeah. burden you with his care. Yeah. That's a big yeah. one, isn't it? With the older yeah. people. And it doesn't matter if it's physical care or emotional yeah. care or anything. Yeah. And uh, he would actually let me give him healings when I was an adult. I'd, I'd ask him, would you like a healing? And he says, sure. And he'll just sit there very, you know, quietly and, and just usually fall asleep. But, <laughs> but it wasn't until he was getting, preparing for his dying process, uh, which I finally got to see because it, it became a seemingly impossible situation where all I could experience every time I came around him was how much he wanted help. And help that I could easily give him, right? <laughs> it's not like he's asking me for something I, I just can't do. No, it's, it's right in my belly wig. And yet he wouldn't accept it. And I, I took a look at it many different times and I can see he was very divided. On the one hand, he was terrified about even the idea of dying on the other hand he didn't want to live he, he just he was done he just didn't want to stick around here there's nothing for him it, this was after my mother died and and um and a lot of his friends you know they got old and they start dying and and then he couldn't uh after his uh, open heart surgery and stuff, he just lost his interest in, in golfing. And, you know, that's where a lot of his social activities were. And, and so, so I could understand it. He just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. But he didn't want to die either. So I, I even asked him, well, if, if you don't want to, you know, be active and involved in, in life here, is do you want to leave and he's just nope won't even talk about 
any kind of a leaving thing. So that forced me to really go, okay, that's where he is. And there's nothing I can do to shake him either way or both ways or anything. <laughs> so for, for a long time, he, he liked to read at a certain point in his life. So I, I bought him all kinds of books about, uh, especially books my friends have written, you know, as mediums about the other side and speaking to the dead and da da da, da and life after death, oh, near death experience, all those kinds of things. And he read all of them, stacks of books. And I asked him, what do you think? He says, interesting. <laughs> he was like a, a, a teenager, you know, who comes home from school. How was school? Fine. <laughs> what you have for lunch? Food. <laughs> but one of the things that really helped me understand him was one day uh, Raphael mentioned, oh, I was, I was bemoaning the fact that somehow I, I wasn't connecting with him. And, and she says, oh, well, he's just like magic, the cat we used to have. And I said, in what way? And she says, you know, uh, magic came around and hung out close by, but completely uninvolved. Didn't want to play, didn't want to uh, scratch behind your ear, you know, no actual interaction on that level. She just wanted to hang out. And whatever we were doing was fine. She just wanted to be part of what we were creating, but not involve herself actively in it. And my father was the same way. He would be delighted when Raphael and I would visit, come for a visit, especially after my mom passed away. He's alone and everything. So we come and visit and he goes, oh, hi, he gives us a hug. He's all smiles and everything. And then he goes into the other room to read a newspaper. <laughs> we, hey, dad, we came to visit you. You want to hang out and talk or something? You know, we can cook dinner or whatever. Oh, fine. <laughs> and we're in one room and he's in the other room and that's when Raphael said oh yeah he's just like magic you know he just wants to be in hearing distance but not have to be put upon to say something yeah and once I got that oh it, it was so much better so much better could, for you in, yeah in the I could enjoy him doing that in that you sort of felt like you lifted the burden of trying to help him in some way. Or, uh, or just even interact. Right, yeah. As far as he's concerned, he was interacting. Right, right. He right. was there with, he was happy to have us there. We could stay as long as we want. Just don't expect him to, you know, to you. involve. <laughs> yeah. Get involved. <laughs> <Cecil>. Get involved. <laughs> Cecil has another question. Uh, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll pop you onto the spotlight, Cecil. And um, okay, so living spirit, living a spirit in a human world is is living that unconditional love to give people the freedom of who they want to be without trying to fix them, help them, change them. 
but at the same time still living your truth as a healer, as a teacher, living it, speaking about it, like cooking your food and offering it, and it doesn't matter if people eat or not. Exactly. Right. And you get pleasantly surprised when, when you know, they, they reject it every single time. And then one day you put, you know, you go get a McDonald's hamburger or something and put it on the table and they go, oh, wow, this is so good. Okay. One more thing. Yes. Uh, you, you've had six uh, experiences. Yeah, I don't. I count the first three as actual death experiences and then the the other three as kind of near-death experiences because uh, all six instances was when my heart stopped. But after the third one, <laughs> my cardiologist got tired of <laughs> me dropping dead all the time. And so he he recommended that I get this uh, a device called the ICD. It's, it's a little, I call it a paramedics in a box. It's computer operated. It, it it's to keep stab on my heartbeat and everything and rhythm and all that. And when, if it stops, it delivers the shocks from the inside, right? You know how they have paddles uh, in the emergency um, and It'll shock and, and then calculate everything. And if, if you don't come back, they shock you again. And I don't know, they do it a few times. But um, so after the third time, I had that implanted. And so the fourth, fifth, and sixth times, that's what brought me back. But the okay. thing was, if, it, if that thing didn't go off and bring me back, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so it would definitely qualify as a near-death experience, but it's not in the same kind of experience on the other side as with the first three. What I was wondering is, uh, as you have visited that area many times, you have been on... Many areas. Um, <laughs> many areas of this uh, place. I don't know in what spirit, to call it. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering if um, was it kind of a new experience learning um, each time or yes. was it more deepening? Every single time is different. And, and I, I had the same question after dying for three times. I had that same question you just asked is, okay, what's was there any consistency of experience in each of my near-death experiences? And the first thing I thought of is, okay, what's the same thing each time? Well, th that's the same thing anytime I get out of my body with a death or not death, out-of-body experience, there is no time. That's the most obvious first experience being in spirit, in any level of any level of spirit uh, out, of, out of the body awareness is, oh, this experience we constantly have here of time, passage of time. Oh, yeah, that was, I said that, you know, 30 seconds ago. Now I'm saying this other thing. That passage of time doesn't exist. 
So that was consistent throughout all the experiences. And even if I just get out of my body at night or whatever, same thing. But other than that, I'm going, every single experience was completely, completely different. You know, a lot of times you hear about people going, oh, all these several thousands of people say, oh, I went through this tunnel and I saw the light and da, 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 and all this stuff. I didn't have any of that experience. And almost everybody who's had a near-death experience would talk about some form of a life review. I, I practically do a life review every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have a life review on the other side. <laughs> the closest thing to a life review was being told the very first time I, I went across to the other side was uh, a council of masters going, you're done. Yay. Congratulations. Welcome home. And, uh, but you're free. You got a choice. You, you can go back. You can stay with us, you know, whatever you like. So that was as close to a life review. <laughs> but then I, I was wondering, why, why didn't I have a life review anytime I went across? Well, the most significant or different of the three experiences was the, or of the first three was the third one that resulted in me being, you know, medevaced to a hospital and they did they ended up having to give me a full-on open heart surgery, all kinds of stuff. And pretty much everybody said he's a goner. And, uh, uh, and poor Raphael, <laughs> every doctor, nurse, uh, and hospital chaplain minister came into the waiting room when, when I was under, when I was going through my operation. And they all came to pay their respects and and try to break the break the uh shock of well if your husband returns which is a big big if 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 he survives he's not going to be the man you married <laughs> boy if you don't think that was a difficult challenging situation for Raphael yeah, she said it took everything she had to just go, okay, because on the other hand, she's, she's pulled in, you know, the, the big guns of healing. And we have a, a very powerful faith healer friend who was in an important board meeting. And she said, okay, I, I'll start praying for Michael, you know, as soon as I get, out, get home and I'll call you when I have something from the Holy Spirit. Well, she called like five o'clock in the morning, the next morning and said to Raphael, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit said. You have to not let all those people who are saying that he's going to be brain damaged if he returns, get to you. Just, just completely keep your mind clear of any thought about that, any fear about that, any worries, and just maintain that because the Holy Spirit said he's going to be fine. You have to keep that in your mind. And she goes, okay. And she said that was very, very, very difficult because everybody kept on telling her, trying to 
lessen the blow for her eventually, you know, they didn't want to give her false expectations or anything. But that time, the experience was going beyond any level of what we might call the heavenly realms. Because that's still as unlimited and as undivided as it seems when you're there, it's still divided. It's not God, per se. Well, the third time, again, I don't talk about it that much because there's not much I can say <laughs> in words. <laughs> not only is there absolutely no time, no space, no division of any, it's just, it's, I can't talk about it in words because there's no person, there, there's no consciousness. It's all awareness. It's, it's undivided. So there's no, me of any sort experiencing this experience. It's just the experience. So I know I, what I call now my, I had the experience, but it's not an experience like any other experience of anything because every other experience, I'm experiencing something. There's a definite I that's experiencing the experience that was just the experience of experience <laughs> awareness <laughs> but the the since everybody wanted to know about it i had to come up with some kind of a description and this description i didn't make it up it just came to me so to speak was i was uh, in the, you know, by the, in the uh, prepositions become impossible to, <laughs> because there's no relativity. Uh, the eternal flame of God's love. That's the phrase that I came, up, came back with. <laughs> uh, so after that, well, on the way back, when I was being, brought back, escorted back to my body, uh, the final message was, you're going back to go through your resurrection, to experience resurrection, what that really means. The other times before that was rebirth. The first time was the experience of rebirth. Completely, all the deck is clean. The slate, I have no, no, nothing I have to be committed to or anything. I'm free slate. Coming back just as a free being. No karmic uh, uh, situations, anything, just all whatever I'd like to create. I had a hard time with that. They told me that. They said, whatever appointments, whatever commitments you already made before your uh, first death, they said, you don't have to honor any of that. 
but I had a hard time with that. So I, I said, well, can I have, you know, can I at least finish off all the ones I made before my death? <laughs> it took me two whole years <laughs> to finish off all those commitments. And the funny thing was, the moment I, I just knew, the moment I finished, everything just went ding. And I, I said, oh, I just finished all my commitments. Now I'm free. I could really start to go into the, my next, you know, after, after the death experience, next level of commitment here. New, new, uh, new show, new, new situation, new life. And I think it was like three days later, I, <laughs> I had my first heart attack. <laughs> uh, and that came with what preceded that heart attack the night before was the experience of Christ. And then that morning of the heart attack was the experience of that total, complete bliss joy, never ending. I woke up with that the next morning, got out of bed and had a heart attack. <laughs> that lasted for four and a half hours before I went to the ER. <laughs> okay. I've got a couple of questions, David. I know yes. David's got another question. Uh, All right. uh, why did you come back? But I, I just want to just want to stay on what you're talking about. So you had no life review. Do you think that when you completely finish this this life, that you will have a life life review, or is that is a life I, review only for a certain evolved soul and not necessary if you've reached a certain level? I don't know. Yeah. I never asked that question. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the other question I have is that no karma, no commitments, not overcoming not finishing what you started before either in this lifetime or others do you think that as we all uh finish up on our karma and move to the new experience on planet earth is that how all of us will live in a in a sense of complete freedom where we're not working on old uh karmic patterns when we're moving into the you know the fifth dimension people call, call it or the fourth density Wow. In, in relationship to most of the human population on this planet at this time, none of you have that much karma. Uh -huh. Yeah, very little. Compared to most the average human being walking around. I mean, that's why when you look at the situations, more global situations, situations going on in big ways around the world. You, you look at it and go, how can they even survive this? How, how do they even get up in the morning, right? Because it's so tough. And you can count your blessings and everything, but you got yourself in a place where where you're not being the effect, the tidal current of karma, anywhere near what the large population of humanity lives with every single day. So 
And one of the things, like you particularly too, but anybody in this group, you're being like the lighthouse. Right? Sometimes you might not feel like you're getting a whole lot done. <laughs> but what's more important when there's a whole bunch of people stuck in a bad storm out there in the middle of the night with no moon or no light and, and clouded over so there's no stars, they need a lighthouse that's steady. And that's kind of their lifeline. Not only their spiritual lifeline, but their, their physical lifeline where the more of us are here on earth shining our light. You know, we are the light of the world. And the more a person can own that and be the light of the world, then it's not exactly what you're doing every day, but those who are looking for that light are going to find it. And it's not distance. Again, at that level of the light, it's, there's no distance. There's no time. There's just an experience of, oh, yeah, that's where I need to head. Not in the sense of they have to hunt you down in Australia <laughs> or even find your, your uh, YouTube channel or anything like that. They just need to go, oh, that's the direction. It's the inner direction. It's, it's like the, the, the stereotypical thing, go to the light, go to the light, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, when you're the light of, of the world, anybody who's in the dark, all they have to do is look up and go, oh, there's the lighthouse. That's the light. And it's not your light. There's only one light. So it doesn't matter which one of us shines our light. It's the same light. It's the same light. I think you answered David's question, which was, why did you come back? Ah. To be the light. Oh. <laughs> it's not even that noble. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I, I kind of took advantage of the, the decision to come back was the, in, during the first near-death experience when I'm meeting with uh, five members of the council. And, and uh, uh, I, when they said, it's your choice, you're free to do whatever. And I looked at that and I could see now it was a little bit of a cop out on my part, but I, I said, oh my goodness, I, I'm in front of these five enlightened beings. And so I said, Oh, what do you guys think? <laughs> in your in your combined wisdom, you know, what the question I posed them was, would I be of more benefit staying here with all of you and and working as I knew I if I stayed there, I, I'd be like a spirit guy. And which I already do in my nighttime anyway. But uh uh or would, would you see that I would be of more benefit, not just to myself, but for anyone involved in my life, uh, if I go back? And they didn't miss a beat. Instantly, all five of them unanimously declared, if I went back, I would be of 
way more benefit. So when, when there's no experience of pain, not even a thought of pain, not a, not a thought of anything human <laughs> when you're in that space. Uh, so I said, oh, okay, go ahead, send me back. <laughs> and it wasn't until the same being that escorted me to this meeting uh, got me in and was escorting me back to my body. As soon as we start to head back, so to speak, I realized, oh, I have this body. <laughs> and that body is curled up in an embryo, you know, a fetal position on the bed in excruciating pain that wouldn't stop. So, so my final uh, communication to, to the masters were, uh, uh, you know what, I'm not going to be any good for anyone, including myself, unless I can get some help on healing the body so that I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be a, a complete invalid. And the communication and spirit at that level is incredibly efficient to the point. What did they, I hear? They said, fine. <laughs> and when I got back, a voice came to my ear and just said, get up and go to the computer and look at this and this and this and this. And then that got, a, got me started on the physical aspects of healing the condition I was in. And uh, I, I got better and better over the course of the next three years or so. Okay, so I'm going to reiterate really the theme of the discussion today. Uh, so we were talking about how do we live as spirit in a human, in a human experience, mm -hmm. uh, be the lighthouse, uh, let people have their human experience, not trying to fix them, save them, um, change them, make them wrong, make them right. Uh, but let them have their human experience because their spirit too, who has elected to have a human experience. And guide but, them to, to spirit. Guide them to spirit. I think the best way to guide people to spirit is by being that lighthouse as opposed to living in your own chaos and then telling people what to do. I did that a lot in, <laughs> yeah. in my 30s, right? I was like, I knew all this information. I'd read all the books and I was completely in chaos in my own life, but I had the information. I kept telling people what to do and they were just hating me and to the point where they <laughs> stopped talking to me. You know, that's when you get judged as being crazy, woo-woo, spiritually insane, insane, exactly. insane, insane, because you've got to walk the talk. I mean, the best way to teach is to be it, right? And, and, yes. and you don't have to actually say anything. You can just emanate light. You can just shine. So the best way to live a spirit in a human world is to let go of your chaos, let go of your stressful negative thoughts, the need to overcome, the need to succeed, the need to fix, the need to make right, the need to make wrong, and just be that unconditionally loving, allowing presence. And all those needs that you just listed come from being afraid that you're not enough, right? right. So, uh, yeah. And that experience of lack is the experience of that division within oneself. 
Right. Without that experience, then it's there's no lack because there's no division. Right. Yeah. So even even in somebody else's chaos, whether yes. it's their health or their dramas, they are also one with that light. Yep. And when that we, never changes. That never changes. And when yep. we remember that, because the need to try and overcome or to fix or to heal or make right or wrong is the forgetting that we are one with the light. Yep. And that's why I teach people to be develop their clairvoyance, which is only, it's not about the, you know, if you could see everybody's auras or, or see spirit running around or whatever. Clairvoyance to me is just being able to see the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that, how does that play out in, in practical everyday terms? The minute you start to seek the truth, you're going to find all the lies you've been stuck in. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this is one thing people don't understand about healing. A fundamental thing about healing that makes most people not be able to have the healing that they're having. Mm-hmm. that the receiving is the moment you seek healing everything that you believe is broken is going to start to show up right and that's why people <laughs> say it's traumatic when they first start to meditate you know? yeah because <laughs> all that chaos starts to get louder that chaotic exactly. mind. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and what makes it louder is this incredible awareness mm-hmm. that we don't even just have, that we are. That we are. So that's, that gets overlooked. So because the first thing that one becomes more aware of is all the bad stuff, all the negativity, all the division, all the, all the lies. And that's when people want to put their head in the sand. When they, yeah. they experience their own chaos, they try and run from it. Yeah, They try it's and scary. run from their own chaos, yeah. And, and then they make everybody else wrong. You're hurting me. You're, you're, you're upsetting me because I feel so bad and I can't be around negative people because I feel so bad. So I've just got to run from you. I've got to cut you off and cut you off and cut you off. Cut you off. Yeah, and what is that? Blame is, is the ultimate strategy of the ego to separate. Oh, right? Say that again. Because the That's moment, fine. the moment we blame I'm... someone, uh, even if we blame ourselves, you know, a lot of people think they're being very responsible and not blaming others. Nah, same. Blame is blame is blame. It doesn't matter what the object of the blame is. If if you blame uh, for yourself for being so stupid, you know, how many times uh, people just pound their head, go, "Oh, how stupid can I be that I did that stupid thing?" That's blame. And what are they doing? They're trying to divorce what they consider to be uh, intolerable stupidity of themselves, right? <laughs> intolerable stupidity. Yeah, because the one who's saying, ones who's blaming themselves as so stupid isn't the stupid one. The one who's saying, I'm so stupid, how could I do this stupid thing? Is blaming the stupid, what they see as the stupid them from their righteously smart them. <laughs> and in doing so, it separates 
whatever part that they consider stupid from the smart part. That's just, the ego. I want to just reiterate, blame is the strategy of the ego to separate, mm-hmm. to be in separation rather than to be in unity with your source. And what separation? As far as the ego is concerned, separation is survival. Survival. Mm-hmm. Because if the ego gets into the light, it's a goner. <laughs> Right? It doesn't exist. It's the survival strategy of the ego. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the ego, my definition of an ego is is that which is nothing trying to be something. Ah, That's the basic definition of survival. When we experience being in survival, oh no, I'm not gonna make it. That's the ego going, oh no, you're becoming too aware. You're becoming too joyous. How many times have we all had experiences of having a moment or even a day or a couple hours of great happiness and joy, and then bam, the phone call comes in, the news comes in, or something comes in, or you find out your car's been stolen, whatever it is, and oh, where's the joy? You're divided again. And that's the ego saying, no, you don't. If you stay in that joy, I'm, I'm a goner. You can't do that. Uh, yep. Oh, Michael Tamora, you are, I just love you. Has anyone got any? <laughs> well, I love everybody, but I love you more. <laughs> um, has anyone else got any questions? Anybody, 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 anybody? Everyone's been very quiet. David said he's, he's hogging all the questions. And I said, no, it's good. Oh, you want to come on camera, honey one? Her and her dragon. She's got the dragon. You've got clothes on your dragon. Has he got a little coat on? She does. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she's got her jumper on to go get nice and warm. Ah, she's Hi, got a maid. Hi there. <laughs> I'm wondering. I had a um, experience recently where it, it's brought a lot of fear into. Well, I'm sitting in a lot of fear, and I'm finding it hard to move out of the fear. So mm-hmm. I had um, a next door neighbor physically assault me, and. Every time I walk out that front door now, I find myself in fear that Mm -hmm. the same thing's going to happen again. And I'm finding that I'm stuck in that fear. I have been stuck in that fear. And then I'm finding it hard to move through fear and into a lighter vibration. And Ah, so I'm wondering wondering how it is. And I know that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of fear at the moment around the planet. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) I'm wondering how it is that we can move more easily through fear and into a lighter vibration. Yes. Well, first, I'd suggest you check out how much of the fear that you are experiencing is actually yours. Exactly why you said there's so much fear in the world right now, more than ever. Well, that's not really true. The fear has always been there. And... uh, I think as David or somebody earlier said, you know, people are waking up spiritually all over. One of the first things of waking up is starting to be, basically, it just means you're more aware on whatever level you are. Some people are waking up on a physical level. 
about their bodies and the physical world and all that stuff and seeing more the truth of it. And then uh, others are waking up on a more emotional level. Others are waking up more on a political level or financial level or whatever it is. But it's all signs of people waking up, becoming aware at the more aware at the level of awareness that they're in. And, And in the, in the, arena of life that they're most interested in looking at all the time, then you're aware that there's more fear because it's more exposed. All over the world, people are much more aware of their fear. Nobody wants to be aware of fear. It's the first one of the first things we just put down so that we don't have to be aware of it. And that's how so much of the mysterious aches and pains that everybody has in their, they think it's the body, it's fear. And they're resisting the fear. It it impinges upon the whole physical nervous system and the feeling levels. And it feels like, you know, pressure at first is nice, like a massage, uh, gentle massage feels good. But if it becomes um, uh, rolfing, <laughs> really deep shiatsu or something, at a certain point, it doesn't feel so good anymore. It hurts. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's enough. It's like that. We interpret that thing that a little bit ago we said, oh, yeah, more and more. That feels really good. But then if you keep on adding more pressure, it's going to start to hurt sooner or later. The same with fear. If you, if you bury the fear in your consciousness and push it down and push it down with your mind, it's going to start to impinge on certain parts of the body and it's going to start to hurt. And then people pop pills, pain pills to get rid of the pain, but they don't get rid of it. They have to be able to become aware of what is what they're misinterpreting as pain. And so going back to the fear part, if you look at the fear that you're aware of, oh, there's a lot more fear than than what you're aware of. (laughs) And at the level you're aware of the fear you're experiencing, already you have a really hard time dealing, right? It's, it's, you get kind of frozen in fear. Well, That is the fear, the frozen part. Fear is like, like this. This is the energy of fear. You know, when, when somebody digs their heels in and saying, no, they're being dragged out by five strong people and, and they're going, no, 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 I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. They're resisting. That's fear. Resistance is all based in fear. So, so it's, remember what I was saying earlier about awareness, Awareness is just awareness. So whatever awareness is aware of, unless you're aware that you're aware of it, you end up becoming it. So when you are aware of fear energy, the energy that if I were to make it a a sound, fear energy is like, ah! 
<laughs> right? And and if I were to make it a physical thing, it's like pushing away, pushing away, get get it away, away from me, I, you know, and running away. That's the that's not what we do. That's what when we do those things of going now or or screaming or or running away, we're becoming the energy called fear. We're dramatizing it with our physical bodies. You don't have to do that. So then what makes us dramatize it is because to the degree that we resist experiencing being aware of that energy, that particular type of energy, and we are, we're fighting it saying the energy is going to kill us. Well, the energy can't kill you. Actually, nothing can kill you. <laughs> but fear is one of the more difficult energies to to deal with because unless you can become totally neutral to the fear, give yourself permission to experience the fear as just energy. Oh yeah, this is what fear feels like. And when you start to give up the resistance to feeling that fear, oh, it's still not something you'll probably like <laughs> because there is no affinity in fear. The fear energy itself doesn't have anything to like. There's, there's no experience of liking it. Do you, do you kind of follow what I'm saying about the awareness? Yes. It's with awareness, all you get is what you got. So if you're aware of fear energy, if you wait around to feeling like you like it, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> because no matter how long you, you feel the fear, it's still going to feel unlikable. It's still going to feel like if you don't run away from it, you're going to die. It's still going to feel like, get this off of me or else I'm not going to make it. But that's not you. That's just being aware of this energy called fear. And it doesn't matter if it's your fear or somebody else's fear. It doesn't matter if they're afraid of spiders or they're afraid of heights or afraid of you know, being shot or mugged or anything. It's the same energy. And you could feel somebody else's fear, a total stranger's fear, and you could be frozen in that stranger's fear. I've had that experience. This is part of what helped me learn about fear is, uh, where was I? Ah, I was in Hawaii. And uh, I was a very avid scuba diver when, when I was younger. And so I'm in Hawaii many years ago. And uh, I had this opportunity to get onto a small charter for a dive boat. And the dive master was going to take us out on this, uh, uh, not a, it's not even a boat. It was a raft. <laughs> and there was, what was, there was about six of us, 10 of us, I mean, 12 of us or 10 of us uh, on that raft, all uh, divers. And at that time, that was one of my first diving experiences in the ocean uh, without a, without a, 
out of class. You know, I, I finished, I got my certification for diving and everything. You have to have a certification card or else they can't, they won't rent, rent you equipment, right? Because it's dangerous. And so, but I'm all hot to go and ready. And so we get to the dive site and the dive master, one dive master says, oh yeah, yeah, it's just me today. And this is too big of a group. So we're going to divide it into half. And he says, so first I need to check all your dive cards. So he goes around, he comes to me last. I show him my dive card and he says, oh, you got a Nawi card. Where'd you get your, where'd you get your certification? I said, Northern California. He said, oh man, master diver. I said, oh no, I'm not even intermediate. I, I just got my certification. Yeah, now if you could die, if you got certified in Northern California waters, that's like, you know, in my book around here, that's, that's, you could, you could uh, be a dive master. Okay. <laughs> I said, no, I can't. And he says, so you take this half of the boat. I'll take this half and we're going to go down and, and we'll get together down there somewhere. I've never led a group of divers of any <laughs> level. <laughs> I had a hard enough time. I, I could, I could maintain my own. I could do the dive myself without a problem, but, but I was in no way going to be able to lead anybody else. Well, we start going down there and you go down the anchor chain to get, get yourself down to the, to the bottom of the ocean and, uh, or down closer, down further. And I get about halfway down and I'm really excited until then halfway down all of a sudden i mean total terror panic head to toes it's like i could hardly breathe and that's not a good thing when you're underwater about 40 50 feet under and i'm just my first reaction was i gotta get out of here right i'm holding on to the anchor chain i look up well i'm too deep to just bolt you know, you could drop your weight belts because that's what's keeping you underwater. I could take off my weight belt and just go for the surface while I get the bends because I, I went too deep to do that. You have to take time to adjust as you go up. But when you're in a total terror panic, you know, that's what you think of. But I'm forcing myself. I'm just going, no, I, I can't do that. I got I to gotta work through this. And then all of a sudden I, realize how much of this fear, this sheer total terror is mine. And I got about 2%. <laughs> and I go, well, what's the other 98%? Where's the other 98% coming from? And all of a sudden I look down at the bottom of the uh, ocean at that point at about 65, 70 feet or so at that point, one of the people who was assigned to me, I could see she is in total terror. She got down there, but once she got down there, she's frozen in terror. And I thought, oh, well, on one hand, thank God, that's not my problem. You know, it's, it's not my fear. I, I can't solve it. That's why when you're experiencing someone else's emotion, especially something like fear, you cannot solve it. You can't get rid of it. 
You can't do anything about it. You can't change it. If you try to change it, it doesn't work because it's not yours. All you're doing is just being aware of somebody else's. They're usually connected into you psychically and you're getting a mainlining dose of their emotion. So I look and she was connected to my first chakra, survival center, right? She's going, you're the leader? Okay, you know, you're it. My life is in your hand and I'm about to die. <laughs> Do something <laughs> because I can't. So I disconnected her from my first chakra. Then most of the fear just left. And then I grounded her. And then the rest of the fear left because she was no longer, you know, I wasn't trying to solve her fear. I just grounded her and she started to settle down. Then I had no problem going down the rest of the way down the anchor chain. I went to her and I reassured her. I asked her if she wanted to go up, I'll help her come back up. And she says, no, she wants to, she wants to go ahead and do this. So after that, she was fine. And I had no fear. It was, it was just, it wasn't mine. In your case, I'd say the fear you've been experiencing having a hard time was, is about 60% non-yours. 40% of it is, well, even the 40% is not all yours. Did you say you got mugged or attacked or something? Oh, yeah, I was physically assaulted. Yeah, it's the fear of the person who attacked you is most of the rest of the 40%. So when you take that person's fear off of there, I'd say your peer fear goes down to about a little over 10%. Now, if, it, if your fear level was about 10% of what you've been experiencing, would it be easier to handle? Yeah, much, much easier. Yeah. <laughs> much easier yeah. than the 1,000% that I feel I've been in. Exactly, yeah. And, and what's, what's difficult about the thousand percent is most of the, you know, the 90% of the fear you've been feeling that's not yours uh, from various different experiences and people and whatnot, uh, you've been trying to solve because when you got attacked, you were trying to solve to you, it was a life or death situation, right? And so the fear that the other person was literally injecting into you, his fear, is, is you can't solve that. But you've been trying to solve his fear ever since. You still keep it within you. And because you know you can't live like that. So you're trying to solve it and solve it and solve it. You're a problem solver. So you're good at solving problems. But this problem, you can't solve. Doesn't matter how good you are at solving problems. You can never solve somebody else's problem, somebody else's emotions, thoughts, feelings, whatever. So you just have to start to just learn to ground yourself from your first chakra down to the center of the earth and just uh, put, create a rose, put the fear that you experience into that rose, explode it. And that's, that's uh, the mechanical part of forgiveness on a more conscious part, you might consider, oh yeah, is there a part of you that's still holding on to the blame to that person? Yeah. And 
worse yet, how much blame and guilt are you keeping against yourself for letting that happen, right? And so you're still trying to solve that too. And you can't solve anything from the past. It's already done. You can't undo it. So the only way to get yourself out of that fear and everything else that go with, that's connected to that fear, the guilt and the blame and the anger and everything that's connected to that fear is to forgive, especially yourself, completely of it. Because, and know that it's, it's the past. Nothing you can do will change it. Which means the only thing that you can do is to be good to yourself. You, you can't withhold loving yourself until you fix it. It's, it's already happened. It's just an experience. As, as horrible as it may have been, it's already happened. And the only way you can change your experience of it is by changing your perception of it. Letting go of the judgments you have toward yourself, toward the other, toward everything, towards life, and really decide to be kind to yourself. Yeah. That's what's missing. The antidote for fear, energy-wise, is you can start with kindness and compassion. Yeah. You have to have a a certain degree of neutrality to start with, because the moment you, you commit to being neutral toward the experience, you start to tap into the spirit you, as opposed to the body you. As long as you're experiencing the body you, there's nothing you can do because the body is strictly effect. The body is like a, a smartphone. Without the operator, it can't do anything on its own. It's the operator's intelligence that can make use of, and creativity that could make use of a smartphone and make you tremendous, you know, create masterpieces with your smartphone. <laughs> but, but the smartphone itself isn't very smart. <laughs> You're the smart one. So that's, that's what you have to do is you have to realize, oh, yeah, I'm the one experiencing this. I don't have to be the effect of it. It's just an experience. It's just like watching a movie and some movies you you get scared because it's a scary movie. But once you realize, remind yourself, oh yeah, this is just a movie. Then you don't have to be scared of it anymore. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the movie is to get you scared. <laughs> yeah. That's that's You're welcome. That's the crux, isn't it? Uh, to remind ourselves that it's the movie, that we're in the movie. Yep. Video uh, game. It's an interactive video game. But I just want to go over, just before we go, I just want to go over what you said because um, we're talking to an audience that is um, oh, yeah. very aware, people watching this, the recording, as well as people that are on Zoom, that are well as people watching the live stream. And often as aware, psychic, open people, we do experience intense emotion and we forget to ask that question. 
how much of that is mine. I think that mm-hmm. that's that's a really big one with the sensitive, aware, psychic yes. community. Because we we try, because we're all problem solvers, right? We're all healers and we try and solve the problem. So how do I get rid of my fear and how do I get rid of this feeling and how do I go back to my past and find out where it came from and should I do a past life regression and should I see a psychic and should I, you know, we're all trying to fix it. <laughs> we're trying to fix it, I fix ourselves yep. all the time. Yep. To remember to ask that question, what am I experiencing? How much of it is mine? Because if someone's attacking you, then they're in a lot of fear. So if you're experiencing fear when you go outside, you're obviously experiencing their fear more strongly than your own fear if you've exactly. done that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because so important. And they're already in fear before you even know they are there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, as you said. The world is in chaos at the moment. It's been in more chaos in our history, but um, the, the reason that stuff is happening on earth is to reveal the fear that's within us all. And so the contrast that we're experiencing here on earth at the moment is revealing the fear. It's not, it's not making more fear. It's just revealing what has been hidden within all of us so that we can let go of it, transmute it, have a different new experience on planet earth and, and yeah, a lot of the light workers are experiencing that strong emotion and then thinking it's their own and they're all in chaos. It's like, I was fine before the pandemic and now I'm in chaos. But the pandemic has revealed a lot of fear that's in the world. And as sensitives, yes. we're feeling that. So if we're feeling it, it's to ground, as you said, ground yourself, return to spirit. And yeah, one of your techniques is to see a rose. I often, I make it a vortex like a sun and to throw that energy into the sun like and like and then push that out into the universe but you you always say a rose but you know what when yeah, you say you a rose, explode it explode it but i don't i love roses and i don't want to explode a rose so i make it a sun instead of a rose yeah. <laughs> or a vortex <laughs> because see that there are a lot of people who who uh say that you know experience that when i teach about the exploding the rose yeah it's you have to look at, oh, yeah, there's judgments that, and, and there's, you make exploding an image uh, like uh, it's a real yeah, bomb like or something. You know, it's, 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 it's deleterious to one's health and well being, which is exactly the opposite. It's not. It's the exploding is for you to exercise that part of your creativity destroying you know destroying is the other end of creating creation yeah and we do this all the time uh, in our mind is we try on things like we try on clothes before we buy it and some clothes we try on before we try it on it looks like oh that looks really cool that's really nice and then you try it on it doesn't work you know and so we take it off and put it back on the counter and we do that with our creative ability in our mind we try, try a thought on, we try a decision on, and then we see what's, what that's going to lead to or what the experience is like and go, oh, no, I don't think so. You got to explode it. You can't just throw it out into the universe because it's creative. Uh-huh. Yeah. Once you put creative levels into the universe, it starts to have an effect starts to have the attractor factor. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like flowers, when you buy roses, 
they die like you appreciate because I love flowers and I appreciate I them so much. And I'm just like, oh, worth every cent buying those flowers. And then they die and I'm like, oh. but yeah, the creation and the destruction, the creation and the destruction. It's like we forget that destruction is just such a big part of creation as much as creating something, destroying it. And, and well. the other thing is we have a word called destroying, but if you really look at in the mind how we create, the destruction is even creation. For example, when you imagine, this is the way I normally teach people uh, the thing with that rose, is how are we creating the rose? We're imagining it, right? We're making an image in our mind of a rose. And, and why a rose? Because pretty much anyone around the world knows what a rose is. <laughs> then I don't have to explain. If I said, you know, create a something, they go, what's that? So a rose, I haven't had a single person saying, what's a rose? Mm-hmm. And so, so they create a rose. Imagine a rose that's creating. Well, when you explode that rose, what are you doing? You're imagining that image that you created exploding. Destroying. That's creating. That's creating. You're creating a different scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so one, you created the image. The next one, you, you're creating the, the explosion. And that explosion is you creating the image that you created. You're returning it to its original energy, mm. neutral energy. So it's, re, it's ultimate recycling. Oh, so I'm getting an image of particles coming together. They form a rose and then particles yes. separating, going back into the ocean of oneness, the ocean exactly. of Exactly. So yep. like the, yeah, p- coming together, co- co- what's the word I'm looking for? Co- come on, help me out. Cohesive, cohesion. Co- co- cohesion, co- coming, yeah, whatever. And then yeah. separating, yeah, and going back yeah. into the oneness, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Michael, it's been like two, two. I know that I'm so I'm so thankful for for your time. You're it's, welcome. Um, it's been beautiful. We've had a quiet audience, a few noisy ones, and a, and lots of quiet ones. <laughs> Thank you again, as always, for teaching us, directing us, shining your light, being the being the lighthouse. Do you like my lighthouse? <laughs> I love your lighthouse. <laughs> uh, just tell. Tell people what you've got on offer as far as your courses and what you're doing, you and Raphael. Oh, yeah. Um, we got something coming right up. Uh, let me see the calendar here. Yes, we have a, uh, as a remote class. It's going to be a set of four teleclasses on uh, May weekend of May 28th and 29th. And, and uh, it, in Pacific daylight time in california it's the first one starts at 9 a.m each day and then the second one each day starts at uh 12 uh, noon and um people can it's it's on a teleconference line so they can call in from anywhere and then after that anybody who attends at least one of the teleclasses will will have a bonus gift uh zoom session couple three hours of uh, Q&A and talk story and you know sharing experiences and and um, having ice cream <laughs> or tea or whatever that part we haven't perfected zoom hasn't allowed us to 
serve refreshments through the Zoom. <laughs> so you got to bring your own. <laughs> so we're going to have that the weekend of May uh, 28th and 29th. And uh, that's in what, a couple weeks? Something like that. And then um, uh, all the information you can get on uh, michaeltamura.com. That's our website. There's the events calendar. Go to the May section and it's all there. Uh, and Michael Tamura is T-A-M-U-R-A.com. Um, I've, and, added, I've added yeah. your link in the... in the Oh, great. The link to your website in the comments there, and I'll also put it under the, um, under the YouTube and the other platforms that, that I'll upload this to great. as yeah. well. And we're going to finish the live, and then I'm going to bring everybody on camera thank you again thank you so much thank you thanks for the invite okay i've stopped the live and um here we go gallery view <laughs> who's left we haven't got too many people left oh there's Lou. Uh, hello <laughs> Thank you. Da David, You're quite a few people have jumped off. David sent a message here saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And, uh, yeah, a few people have jumped off because uh, actually David's actually doing a um, personal growth course, an online personal growth course this weekend. Ah. So he uh, jumped off that to, to be on here with us today with you. It was so great. Thanks, Michael. Let me introduce You're you. We've got, got a few got a few Aussies here. We've got. Heather Price, who is in Queensland. Hey. And Lou is also in Queensland, Loon Vanstone. Hi there. Thank you so much. Hello. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey. Shirley's nice in Shirley's in Canada. She said she was too sick because we've got a few COVID cases Hi. or a few flu. Oh, uh, yeah. But she came on. Sherry's in Canada. <laughs> a couple of Diane's in the States. Sissel's in Norway. And Rachel's in Aussie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so we had a few Aussies online today. Yay. Yes. Oh, thank you again, Michael. That was amazing. I just love you. You're, you're amazing. Oh, thank big, you. Big love, love to, <laughs> big love to big love to Raphael. Yes. Have you, have you got a new dog yet? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. We're, you know, it's we've been so busy at everything. And and now that we have uh uh, permanent, uh, more or less permanent home for the time being, and and probably in an area that would be dog friendly and all that. The next thing is is uh, <laughs> uh, Raphael's not quite quite ready to have our dog back, and Shanti, our uh, one that's the same dog soul that's reincarnated three times already, has started to come around and saying, okay, you guys ready yet? <laughs> I know I've got a dog soul coming to me too. I've been obsessed with golden retrievers and I've been having love affairs with ones in the street. One came up and I had this like beautiful, oh, I can't say this interaction with this golden retriever. Just Anyway, and then I went for a walk the other day and there was a white Labrador on the other side of the road barking at me. And the owner's looking at the dog and looking at me and looking at the dog. And I'm thinking, who's that dog barking at? And then I'm looking at and he's barking at me like this dog is just barking, barking, barking. It was the weirdest thing because I was just walking down the street and he's just, bark but 
I'm being nudged by some dogs, like get, get, get a dog, get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't got the space for a dog, but I so want a dog. And I want a white yeah. or a golden retriever, a, a blonde dog. It's a blonde oh, dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> one day soon, the dog is coming. Yes. The dog is yep. coming. <laughs> the dog is coming. <laughs> the dog is coming. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Enjoyed you. Enjoy being with all of you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for showing up. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. Have a great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have a great week. You're starting your week. And I'm thank just you. finishing the weekend. <laughs> <laughs>